We greet each of you in Jesus' name. I hope you had a good day of rest and worship, fellowship, and I trust that you have found God's renewing energy filling you. Let's just pause for prayer as we begin this message. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of being together in your house tonight with your people. We've invited your spirit to be with us, and we invite your spirit to continue to teach us. We thank you for each one that could be in attendance, and we pray that you would meet their needs tonight. Help us each, Father, to find your will and way as we walk this pathway of life. Forgive us for those times when we have sought our own way instead of your way. And tonight, as we begin this message, we just pray that our hearts would just be laid open before you, and we would ask you to have your will and way, and to use us in a way that would be profitable for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your kindness as a congregation to Alma and I this weekend. It's a joy to be able to get to know you in a small way. Get to know that there are people here that love the Lord. In America today, the people would claim that we are a Christian nation. I don't know too many people that would say that we are a Muslim nation or that we are a heathen nation in the sense that the godly principles have been left behind or not even recognized. And yet we haven't been living by, the God, by God's principles in this nation. And we can't truly say that it is a Christian nation by the Bible definition. The question then comes, how do you and I respond to that? And how do you and I respond with a life that's dedicated to the service of the Lord? How do you and I view Christianity and how do you and I live out Christianity in a way that's different than the average American who would say that we are a Christian nation? It's a sobering question for me. And as I prepared this message and thought about the work of the Holy Spirit, have I blocked the work of the Spirit in my life? And, and do I need to... Uh, in a fresh way, open myself up to the work of the Spirit so that God's work can be done through me and through us, His channels. Tonight, let's look at some scriptures and let's be affirmed of God's will for the church, for His people, with the Holy Spirit. I invite your attention to John 3. The scripture speaks much about the Holy Spirit and will only touch on some of the verses in regard to it. But as I understand the Holy Spirit in the Bible, it's associated with power. It's associated with the power to live differently than what we would live without the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, I noted a verse, verse 34, that says about the Spirit being given and it, how it's given by amount. 
And he's speaking here about Jesus. And speaking about Jesus coming to earth to live and to be an example before us. Verse 34 of John 3 says, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. This is kind of an interesting word. By measure. Interesting thought. He gave not the Spirit by measure. In other words, it was given in its fullness, in its abundance. But in the Old Testament and even in the Gospels, we find that the the Holy Spirit was given with a measure for a specific time, it appears, for a specific situation. But now as Jesus came to earth, the Holy Spirit came and, and abode in him without measure. And as was said in the devotional from John chapter 7, the promise is given that the Holy Spirit will be given to you and to me in abundance. Well, at least in enough abundance that it flows out. Not just filled up, but that it's bubbling out. That the Holy Spirit's power becomes evident to those that we meet. And it becomes evident in our day-to-day living. And here in John 7, verses 37 to 39, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The verification in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit is available to us without measure. It is available for you and me, and I'm the only one that can hinder how much I have, or how much I use, how much I avail myself to what God wants. The average Christian today in America doesn't really show an extraordinary power within their life. At least if you go by the statistics that say that divorces in the church are as much as in the regular society, and that the things that the church struggles with, the sins that are, that are predominant there, compared to that of society. That doesn't mean that has to be for us. I'm just saying, I want to be different than the average Christian in America. Don't you? Amen? You, you, don't you want to be a person that is living this life with power and with purpose instead of it just being an effort in futility? And I believe there are some people that are walking the Christian life today that are, it's, a, it's an effort in futility. And Matthew tells us that there are those that come judgment day that are going to stand up and say, didn't I do this in the name of the Lord? And didn't I do this and this? And they had power, but it wasn't the right power. It was the power of the devil. And they're going to be rejected. 
But you and I have the privilege, as we've given our heart and life to the Lord Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and to directing us through life. Putting us in the right place at the right times to affect people that he has prepared to meet us, to be in our pathway, to give us power to live above the things that Satan wants to trip us up with. In Ephesians 5, we're not going to turn to that, but Ephesians 5.18, it says to be filled with the Spirit. And it's in the idea, the context there says about not being drunk with wine or being controlled by wine, but being controlled by the Spirit. We pray for God's leading, and that's a part of asking that God's Spirit would direct us for the events of the day. And life tomorrow morning will be much the same as it was last Monday morning, perhaps, for many of you. But what does God have for you on Monday morning? What does God have for you to accomplish for his kingdom? What's he have for me to accomplish for his kingdom? Who can I touch? Who am I to to relate to? Who will he direct me to? I want to be willing to be led. Maybe tomorrow's day for me, I'm going to be driving. But maybe tomorrow, it's a day of just sitting back and and giving worship and praise to God. But I want to be in the center of his will, and you want to be in the center of his will. You want to live tomorrow. You want to live this week. You want to live, I trust the rest of your life in the center of God's will. We get to the end of life that he can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You followed me instead of following your own desires. And yet the Christian today finds it difficult to to continue to be reminded that he needs the direction of the Spirit for every day. And he speaks to us in in so, so small ways sometimes that we don't hear it in the clamor of of our own schedule and our own ideas of what should be accomplished. I'm going to give two things that I believe hinders me from being filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit. And one of them is that of being unclean. That of not dealing with the things in my life that have been sin and to separate myself from that sin. 1 John 3 speaks about us as believers not continuing in sin, not practicing sin. And though we are sinners saved from sin, we still have that human nature that causes us to stumble. And yet it's not our practice to continue to sin. We do not intentionally go out and plan to sin. If you do that tomorrow, you decide where your relationship is at with God, but you're walking, you're you're putting self back on the throne of your heart instead of letting God be at the center of your life. And God is asking that he be allowed to be at the center of our life and, and on the throne. And so I need to be a clean vessel. And I need that blood of Jesus to keep me clean. The second thing is that of being consecrated, that of being willing to be used in whatever way he wants. 
Some things God calls us to do aren't pleasant. Some things are scary, scary. Some things we'd rather let somebody else do. Sometimes our Christianity is an embarrassment to us. We'd rather not be identified as too radical of a believer. It's scary to stand up and to say that I'm a believer and I'm not going to allow or I'm not going to condone uh, these dirty stories or this type of language. I, I can't support that. The Holy Spirit wants to give us boldness. We need to be consecrated to be willing to be used to not hold back anything in our life that would hinder His Spirit coming in and filling us and flooding our souls. And I was giving a number of stories here this morning, and I said, oh, too many stories, too many stories. I don't know how you felt about the message this morning. Too many stories. We need the Word of God. We want to look at the Word of God, but there has to be some stories, I think, to help us to, to understand. And Rich shared one with me tonight as we traveled to church, and I hope, Rich, I can just share a little bit about you meeting this man at the door before he... Can I share that one? Uh, he, he met a man at the door of his house, and he was just ready to take his life. And Rich had just stopped in there on a whim, not planning to, and he stopped in there, and, and this man told him later that he was ready to, to kill himself. He had a gun to his head when Rich knocked on the door. Well, God had placed Rich there. Do you believe that? There's no question in my mind that God knew, and he orchestrated, and he brought that all together. And when things like that happen in our experience, brothers and sisters, it affirms in us, affirms to us, that God is using little me. My, I'm an unprofitable servant, but God is using us to, to further his kingdom. God is orchestrating the events. We had a man that came to work with our crew, and he and his wife got into an argument and separated. And the wife came and she wanted to have us visit him and try to talk to him about their marriage and getting back together again. And I said, I'd try to do that. It was a busy week of Bible school at church. And I said, well, I'll try to do it. But it didn't happen until Saturday. And uh, she asked me Friday again, she said, are you going to visit my husband? So well, I'll try to find him Saturday. Where is he located? And she said, well, he has two jobs going right now. And uh, he could be here and he could be here. And those places were probably 40 minutes apart. So I told my boys, I said, I'm going to go try to find this man. So I said, pray that I'd find him. And I went to the first job site, couldn't find the first job site. And so um, I got tired on the way and I pulled over the side of the road and I took a little five-minute nap, ten-minute nap. And, uh, you know, I didn't have an appointment with this gentleman, but I started toward the second roadside, or the job site, and got to an intersection in the road, and here this man was at the stop sign at the one intersection, I was at the stop sign at the other. Now, if I wouldn't have had that tired spell and gotten that nap, you know, God orchestrated we met at that Four corners. Now, what did he want us to do with that four corners? I wasn't sure. But we were there. 
I didn't know where to find this man. It was, it was a needle on a haystack, but God orchestrated that we'd be there at those four corners at that moment. I said, God, thank you. Now what do you want? So I decided, well, I'll leave the stop sign first and I'll come around to his side window. And I looked at him and he looked at me and he, he headed off the road just zooming because he didn't want to see me. He knew who I was. He didn't want to talk to me. He was, he was having problems in his marriage. He was running away from things. He wasn't ready to, well, God, what you want me to do? So I turned around and chased him. Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to meet, but I sure met him at the stop sign. I sure think there's something more to this than that. And I didn't feel any special moving of the Holy Spirit about it. I just, well, I think I better chase him. But I'm sure God was leading in that whole thing. And I came around one corner and he was no longer in front of me, but there was a dirt road off to the side and there was dust at the, at the dirt road and up at the corner. And I knew he had gone up that dirt road. I came to a screeching stop, backed up and said, should I or shouldn't I? Don't want to make him mad. Yeah, I'm going to go up that road. So I go up that road and as I get up to that corner, who should I pass but him coming down? <laughs> he went around the corner and he had, He'd waited till I flew by, he thought, and then he's coming down. So I waved to him as he came down the hill and he went by me. I looked in my very mirror and he's putting on his brakes. And he stopped and he backed up. He rolled down his window and we talked. The next night he's at our house talking about his marriage and putting it back together. Did God arrange that? I didn't do anything with that. Except say, well, I'm willing to go try to find this man. See, that excites me. That excites me. That's, that excites me that God can use you and me, his people, to build his kingdom in ways that we could never orchestrate. But I have to be a clean vessel. And I have to be a vessel that's consecrated to his service, not to my own thing. And I fail in that area. I'm just confessing that I need... And through this message, the preparation of this message, to be aware in a new and fresh way about the Spirit of God in my life and to ask for His direction in the little things, in the things that we think are insignificant, but He may want to use because He has a plan for every day of my life and your life. Today I'd like to, tonight I'd like to look at John chapter 16. I'd like to take some thoughts from... The verses there about the Holy Spirit, three areas that I would like to look at the work of the Holy Spirit. One of them is the work of convicting. One is the work of changing us. And one is the work of empowering us to his service. I note here in John 16, where Jesus is telling his disciples before he left the earth, that he assures them that the Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to be a benefit to us. In verse 7, I'd like to begin reading. Nevertheless, I tell you that truth. It is expedient. It is advantageous. It is profitable for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. 
of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now I want to tell you that in these three sections that I'm dealing with tonight, we'd like to look at the one of empowerment and of doing great things for God. Things that are noticed, things that are magnificent, things that are miracles. You know, it was a miracle that I met that man at the Four Corners. That, I, I'll classify that as a miracle. That, that was God-ordained that that happened. Okay? It was God-ordained that Rich met that man at the door at the time of need. He had just called his pastor, and the pastor didn't have time to meet with him. He tried to get uh, talk with somebody else, and they weren't ready to uh, talk with him. It was providential. God worked it out that Rich stopped and met that man. Okay? But it's, people are emphasizing that the Holy Spirit is, is always visible. And that it's always a magnificent spread of, of miracles to give evidence. But brothers and sisters, tonight, if I understand the Scripture, it's that the Scripture is clear that He's a power source within you to convict you and to change your life more into his likeness so that he can, by your very inner conversion, your regeneration, you're able to be a, an instrument that he can use. Here in this scripture in John 16, it tells us that when the Holy Spirit will come, he will reprove the world of sin. If you write in your Bible, I encourage you to write the word convict. That's what it means. When he, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Now, I needed to be convicted of my sin before I came to Jesus. And today I need to be convicted when there is sin in my life. I don't want to live a life that doesn't have any conviction in it. If you haven't felt conviction in your life, then ask yourself the question, have you laid yourself open to be examined by the Holy Spirit? If you haven't felt conviction in your life for the last three months, well, either you're perfect, and we know that's not the case, or you haven't been open to the Spirit even bringing direction to your life. Now we think of conviction as a hurtful thing. We think of conviction as being a it doesn't feel good to be convicted. But we need to be convicted. Conviction is, is a way that we come in line. And we need to keep our conscience sensitive so that the Holy Spirit can work through our conscience. The Bible speaks often about not halting our conscience or not quenching our conscience. We need a conscience. Everybody's been given a conscience. The Holy Spirit has to work through that conscience. So it needs to be sensitized. It needs to be open to what the uh, to the Spirit of God. We can't walk without sensitivity to the laws of the land and expect to keep an open conscience. And if our conscience is not at work, the Holy Spirit doesn't have an avenue by which to work in our life. He uses the conscience, as I understand it. 
And so if I continue to be insensitive to the laws of the land, for example, or to something I know is right, and my conscience continues to just kind of get less and less, the Holy Spirit doesn't have room to work through to guide me in new ways. So there's people today that because you haven't been sensitive to the little things, remember the blue heron story this morning? It was hard to go to the, to the game commission, but if I, would, if I would have done that, if I would have hid that sin, how could the Spirit direct me in any other way? How would the Holy Spirit direct us if we're not sensitive to things that we know? And I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit won't continue to work and bring conviction in our life until we've opened up ourselves and said, look, I want to lay open before you. Holy Father, I want you to just make me into your image. And so it calls for consecration. It calls for us to be open to to him. We needed the conviction of sin before we came to Jesus. We have a lady in our church right now who's been attending for about three years. And she says, well, I just don't have any conviction for sin. Well, I just wish I could make her feel conviction for sin. She's been under the sound of the gospel for three years, but she doesn't have conviction for sin. But guess what? I can't do that. It is the Holy Spirit that's going to bring conviction of her sin. You and I don't have that job to do. We just have the job to present the truth. The Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin. In verse 9 it says, Reprove of sin because they believe not on me. The Holy Spirit is serious about showing us our sin and getting us cleaned up and get us right. We cannot come to Jesus by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to bring us. So the Holy Spirit needs to convict us of what is wrong in our life. The second thing it says here that we have conviction of is that is of righteousness. Jesus says of righteousness, of what is right, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit loves to show us what the truth is. Holy Spirit doesn't want to hide any truth from us. You seem to be open to receive that truth. And I know there's times in my life that I haven't got new revelations from God through the Scripture. I've not got new understandings because I haven't done well with the things that I've already known. I've only come to a certain level and plateaued because I thought that was good enough. But the Holy Spirit wants to show me more what is right and bring my life more into what is the way Jesus would do it. Scripture says he'll guide us into all truth. And he will instruct us about Jesus. Jesus was speaking of himself here and he was saying, you know, people aren't, aren't accepting me, but the Holy Spirit is going to exalt me. And the Holy Spirit is going to show people about me and their need of me. Conversion is a miracle. No question about it. Conversion is a miracle. And the Holy Spirit has shown people through every generation that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only way. No man comes to the Father, but the Spirit draw him, the Scripture says. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ and wants to teach us what is right. Then it says it wants to convict us of judgment. Of judgment because the prince of this world 
is judged. I need the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life because I need to see what the results of my actions will be. I need to understand that if I'm careless in this area of life, that there's going to be a penalty for that. There's going to be a consequence for that. If I'm careful in my life to follow God's direction, there's going to be a result, a result of doing. So tonight, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. It is to bring conviction of what is wrong and what is right and what the consequence of all that is going to be. Do you remember how Paul told Felix there in Acts 24? He told him, he said that, um, you know, you're in trouble because of your sin. And he reasoned with him of what was right and of temperance and of judgment. It says Felix trembled. Holy Spirit came and, uh, and was convicting him, but he did not want to yield. So the conviction work of the Holy Spirit is in a very important work. One night after a revival service, walked to the back of the church and somebody came back and said, you know, you really were hard on me tonight. You didn't just break my foot, you broke my leg. Well, I didn't break her leg. It was the Holy Spirit. She was feeling conviction on numerous fronts. And she was saying, I need to get some things straightened out. Well, the Holy Spirit brought conviction. And what's really fun for a minister is when somebody comes to the back and thanks him for saying something they never said. It's a lot of fun. You know you never said it. You know the Holy Spirit directed them. And the Holy Spirit took them someplace while you were preaching, and uh, they were convicted about that. Yeah. One night a lady, she was, we were preaching on non-resistance, and a lady was crying at invitation time, and she was crying, and she came to the room, and she said she had problems with her husband. Well, what's problems with the husband have to do with non-resistance? Well, the Lord lay on her how she was resisting her husband in her, in her marriage. and Well, the Holy Spirit took her to marriage, took her to that avenue of non-resistance. The Holy Spirit does that. I thank God for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Second area tonight is we want to look at is the work of the Holy Spirit changing us. As you sit here in a pew tonight, as I stand here tonight, do I want to be any different five years from now than I am tonight? Where do I want to go on my spiritual walk? Or have I reached the plateau that I want to reach? Or do I want the Holy Spirit to continue to guide me? Do I want Him to continue to reprove me and to change me? Do I want to become a person that God can use in a greater way? Holy Spirit has power available to me, to you, to all of us. I need to be clean, and I need to be consecrated for a service, and he's going to come in like a flood, and he's going to pour out of me. The Bible says he lives within me, but if I have some other things in the way, he can't take full control of me. Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is a blessing. Am I allowing him to change me? Nicodemus came to Jesus in John 3, where we read first. Jesus was saying there about the Spirit. 
And Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And if I understand water as it's used figuratively in Scripture, it's for cleansing. And the Word of God is the cleansing agent. But when uh, it's used figuratively, the, the Spirit is used It's used figuratively for cleansing in the Scripture as the Word of God, used figuratively for drinking in Scripture as the Holy Spirit. But it talks about taking in and drinking. The idea of continuing to be filled, continuing to let it bubble out of us. To be filled with the Spirit, to be changed into His likeness. So five years from now, or next week, or next year? What do you see the Lord doing in your life? What do I see the Lord doing in my life? Do I see him making me more into his image? Is the Holy Spirit active and changing you? Can you see ways that he's directed? Ways that he's brought you in the last year? In the last five years. Have you sensed there's more boldness in witness? Have you sensed there's more boldness in standing up for what you know is right? See, we have the example of Peter in Scripture. He was outside of Caiaphas' house when Jesus was in there being questioned. And Peter was ashamed. Peter was ashamed to identify with Jesus. He was ashamed that he lied and the cock crew. He denied Christ. But in Acts 2, where he gives his message, he was empowered and he was able throughout the book of Acts to change people's lives or to be an instrument that would bring change to people's life because he was more committed to the Holy Spirit at work in his life. Be filled in the Spirit says that my life is going to be different. It's not going to be my way. It's going to be God's way. He's going to lead and he's going to give me that boldness and that power. If I understand the idea of the verse in Ephesians 5 where it says about being filled, it's the idea of be ye filling with the Spirit on a continual basis. Our normal condition should be to be filled and full and overflowing. People see from your life and my life that I have met with God and that I am full and overflowing. Do they see a difference when life's trials and circumstances come? Or do I just react or act as anyone else would act? What is my response? What is the outflow? What is the, what is the, what is shown? What is given out that is recognized as being from God? Sure, many of you would have testimonies of how there are people who came to you and said, I just don't understand you. 
I don't understand what makes you tick. I don't understand how you couldn't hit that fellow when he hit you or sue that person when they sued you. Testimonies that they saw that the power of God was evident in your life. Powerful, powerful thing. Powerful, powerful thing when the Holy Spirit is there giving you a disposition that is baffling to a non-Christian who has no power. You and I are God's mouthpiece. You and I are God's means of speaking to the world. You and I have the opportunity to continue to be changed more into his likeness. And that is my desire, and that should be our desire. Hebrews 12.10 says that we are partakers of Christ's holiness. We are changed into his image from glory to glory. Do I recognize that that is by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life? The third area tonight is that of his work of empowering us. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is referred to power. It is in Romans 15, 13. It says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. How is the power of God flowing out of you? How is it flowing out of me? Do they see Dale Eby? Do they see something different? How does the Holy Spirit flow out of your life on a day-to-day basis? How does the Holy Spirit give you ability to stand for Him that people can't understand? One of our ministers years ago was building a barn and the concrete driver came to make one of the last pours at the barn. And as he was pouring the barnyard, he had to pull up alongside a wall that had been freshly poured and to pour the last amount over the edge of that wall. And as he did that, as they poured that, the wall caved in. And all the concrete, not all of it, but a lot of the concrete just ran out against the concrete truck and made a real mess. And the concrete driver was fearful of the reaction of the owner. And uh, this pastor, my friend, I was right there beside the concrete truck when this happened. And he just shook his shoulder and says, well, fellas, go get the skid steer. They went and got the skid steer. He said, take it out there in the pasture and dump the concrete. Start scooping. Started scooping the concrete. Took it out to the pasture. Wasted. And the concrete driver just stood there and said, I can't believe this. I can't believe that somebody would respond in such a manner. With such a disappointment. Such a waste. I just can't believe. You know, those are wonderful opportunities to say what's important in life. Those are wonderful opportunities to say to people, you know what? 
God lives in me, and I'm going to accept what comes. Times of sickness, times of, of problems with our health are a great time for people to see whether we are really in God's will or whether we're going to be a grumbler and a complainer about it. Another pastor friend of mine broke his leg and he was in traction for six weeks in the hospital. And God used that man in the hospital room in ways he wouldn't have used him otherwise. Because he wouldn't be used. He was hurting. His leg's way up here, you know. The weight's on and it's hurting. One day we were into his room, or some, some of our friends were in his room, and he said, uh, that man over the bed, he, he gave his heart to the Lord. We got the opportunity to witness to him. God had empowered him to be a witness to that man, even though he was sitting there in pain, laying there in pain. He said, he's going home tomorrow, and there's another man that's coming in here, and I'm going to get him tomorrow. See, God was empowering him. God was giving him a vision for what he was going to do, what he could do through his life, through his circumstance. He was surrendered. He didn't want to lay there any more than any of the rest of us want to lay there. It's in a college classroom. The teacher said, who's the Mennonite in this classroom? Well, I didn't want to raise my hand. Why did I want to raise my hand? Because I was embarrassed. No, first of all, I was infuriated. I said, what right does she have to ask who the Mennonite is in this classroom? It has nothing to do with the subject. I did raise my hand then. I confessed that being ashamed and that I want to be bold for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was in another college classroom when the, the teacher was speaking about peace and had us write about our view of peace. I was able to share my testimony with him. And he wanted to go out for, for snack after the, the three-hour class because he said, you got something I don't have. May God be the glory. See, opportunity. I want to be there. You want to be there. God wants to use us. And, and so often, it's easy to be up about our own thing. God wants to, by His Holy Spirit, empower us. People look at our joy. People look at our peace. People can't explain it. People hear about our hope of the future. People are attracted to that. Fly on planes different times and I love to make an opportunity. Pray for an opportunity on the plane to witness this one person on the trip. People sit beside me and they tell me, you know, I don't agree with what you believe. But they get all done and they say, but keep what you have. That's just astounding to me. But keep what you have. They see something in us as Christians. They do, brothers and sisters, they do. It's not all the jumping 20 feet in the air. It's not that kind of being filled with the Spirit. It's a life that is at peace and joy and hope that says that you and I have a relationship with an almighty God and we are being led with purpose and we have a reason for living.
There's plenty of people out there today who don't have a reason for living. They may look like they're going places, but they got their ladder against the wrong wall. They're going nowhere right. We have an opportunity. But the Holy Spirit has to be given free course. And we need to be bubbling over. We need to pray for opportunities, but we need to first pray that we be the person we should be so that it's just bubbling out of us. We need to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ every day so that whoever we meet, if it's the President of the United States or if it's a drug addict on the streets of New York City, that we're able to show them, not by our own efforts, but by our peace and our joy and our countenance, that we're walking a different, a different way. Oh, the burden on my heart is that we be above average Christians. We be empowered as Peter was empowered with boldness. We need not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We be ready to be an instrument that makes a difference. And we look at ourselves as a minority sometimes. But with God, we're a majority. And our lives have something that the world is looking for. God planned it that way. Christians have something that the world needs. Now I will ready to be used in that work. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Have you ever read the book, The Heavenly Man? About the pastor in China who was in prison for preaching. I was just refreshing myself in that this week. The story about the man who, who was in prison several different times, suffered much beating and ridicule, and one day he felt led to, to uh, just walk out of the prison. Many gates, many guards, but he felt led to walk out of the prison. And according to the story, according to the account, his legs had been so badly hurt that he by the beatings, that he couldn't hardly walk. The day he walked out of the prison, he walked by guards that just didn't seem to see him. He walked through gates that were already left open for him and walked out onto the streets and hailed down a taxi and was taken to one of his friend's house and he needed to go into hiding then because they couldn't find him and they were desperate to find him. What am I saying? God has great things for the church. God has great things to do through people who are willing to, to mind the Spirit. And I, I believe you want to do that. He wants to use your gifts. Are you willing to be used? Are you willing to just open up so that He can use you this week to bear fruit for his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the subject is only scratched, but I thank you that your Holy Spirit is available to us in full measure. We have the powers of heaven available to us. We pray that our vessels would be clean tonight. And that we'd again consecrate ourselves for service as a church, as individuals, 
to go into the battle and to see you orchestrate the people we're to speak to, the circumstances we're supposed to be involved in, where we can show something about you. And Lord, we seek forgiveness for those times where we have not even asked what, should we do, what we should be doing in a certain situation. We seek, Lord, to be led by your still small voice. Lord, bring conviction where we need conviction. Help us to keep seeing what's wrong. Also, lead us into righteousness. Show us what's right. And Lord, remind us of judgment. Remind us that there's a day coming and we will have to give account. And Lord, help us to be a church that rises up in our communities, with our contacts, to bubble over for you. I pray for each one here tonight. Pray for those that maybe have come under conviction tonight, and I pray that you'd be with them and you would minister to their need. Pray for those who have maybe strayed away from your leading. Lord, help them to pick up where they've left off and continue to be taught by your Spirit. We just pray that you take these meager words and that you would make something of it in our hearts. And Lord, that your name would be exalted. We love you. We adore you. We thank you for this day of worship, this day of gathering together, this day of determining again what our course of of life is going to be for the coming week. Bless this congregation. Lord, I pray that you would just bring much fruit for their labor. Pray that they'd be able to lead many souls to you. And Lord, that they'd be able to see many lives who have been down and out find hope. We give you all the praise and all the glory for what you want to do in these days in which we live. We expect great things because you are a God that is building your kingdom on this earth. We desire to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have another song.
Thank you for your prayers this weekend, for your kind attention, kind words. May God bless and keep you. Come to New York sometime. We'd be happy to have you all come at once. We wouldn't feed you all in one shift, but we would, we would take care of you. This week we have revival meetings at church. Pray for our congregation as they are, are going on. Pray the Spirit will be at work. We have 13 people that we believe are, are uh, unsaved, that are not... Uh, that are of the age of accountability or that are older or have not yielded to the conviction for sin. So we're praying for 13 people. Just pray that God would have his will and way in our lives and that we'd be a people that would be ready to, to follow wherever he wants us to go. Let's stand for dismissal.